Jericho Talk is Jericho's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and it's Friday, so let's turn it over to Duff McKagan and the patented joke of the week. Chris <laughs> Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. I'm at a hotel. You hear phones ringing. It's going crazy. It's gig day, Austin, Texas again. Somebody asked if, uh, if I really got laryngitis from the spider bite. Yes, that's a real thing. Hashtag tour life. Uh, did I tell you um, the difference between a, a greyhound um, terminal and a, uh, a lobster with boobs? One is a crusty bus station. The other is a busty crustacean. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Uh, that's actually pretty good. A crusty bus station or a busty crustacean. <laughs> uh, gems like that can only come from the mind of the Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Duff McKagan. And we thank him for remembering us each and every Friday with his jokes in the midst of a busy Guns N' Roses touring schedule. They're just getting ready to wrap up. They're not in this lifetime tour. What's going to happen after that? New music, new album? Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. What I can tell you for sure is after the amazing Paranormal Beatles podcast we did, uh, on Wednesday, we're keeping it going today with uh, Jeff Darty. Uh, he's from the Christian Whistleblower Channel on YouTube. He's a childhood friend of Charlie Hodge, who was a member of Elvis Presley's Memphis Mafia and lived at Graceland with the King. And Jeff is an expert on paranormal events involving Elvis. He's going to share some of those stories with us from Paranormal Beatles to Paranormal Elvis. It's a great Halloween scary week today. Uh, this week, he's talking about why Elvis's spirit was haunting Graceland for a time, the mind control Elvis was under, and how he tried to warn the Beatles of the same similar dangers in the mid-60s. He talks about how Elvis's military service and Hollywood movies play into the mind control, what the Manson family murders have to do with Elvis. He also talks about the last days of Elvis's life and how the king was preparing for a huge comeback and how that might have contributed to the possibility that he was murdered. Uh, because Jeff was childhood friends with Charlie, Jeff's also got some great inside stories of what Elvis was like as a person. Uh, we follow up Paranormal Beatles with Paranormal Elvis with Jeff Darty right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. Here we go, baby. Here we go. All right, so we're back here, uh, back in the Fozzy Bus, which is my podcast uh, studio over the last three weeks. And we were just talking I'm with Jeff Darty, rhymes with party with a D, uh, about how I get a lot of people um, tweeting me and Instagramming me to want to talk about paranormal. And it's kind of the, uh, the supernatural type of, of vibes. As you know, we do a lot of supernatural themed shows here on TIJ. And Jeff reached out to me about a bunch of different topics quick background you just mentioned you were a preacher for 20 years and then suddenly started transitioning into more of the ethereal world shall we say yeah absolutely and first of all chris let me say it's an honor to be here with the hardest working man in show business <laughs> and i really appreciate the opportunity Thank you. it's Thank a privilege you. truly appreciate it man yeah i spent 20 years as a assemblies of god evangelist if you've ever seen leap of faith steve martin kind of like that not quite as bad and then, truly, my wife ran off with my piano player, which precipitated a change in direction for me. I'd say so, yeah. And I just started examining everything that I'd been taught, because I realized I didn't know it for myself. I just knew it because I'd been taught it. So I went back to the basics, the old Hebrew, the old Greek, and just kind of rebuilt my beliefs from scratch. And I started to see, at least in my opinion, that there's some things that don't quite add up with the whole church realm. And that led me into what you call more esoterica, more freeform spirituality, still believe in, in divinity. 
And that led me with my background in exorcism into a lot of paranormal work. So uh, we're doing everything from A to Z on the, on the spiritual spectrum. And I was really excited to see you featuring these type of topics because it brings a lot of interest to our genre. And again, just hats off to you, Chris. Well, thanks, man. Like I said, there's a lot of topics that we could, that we could discuss. And we were throwing some ideas around and we kind of settled on it. And we're going to talk about the kind of the, the whole Elvis thing. I just did a great show with a guy in Liverpool who we did a paranormal Beatles show about all the different things, kind of similar to what you're talking about with Elvis, all the, all the strange coincidences and strange things and ghostly kind of hauntings and stuff. And you mentioned a lot of different things about Elvis that had happened. But before we get into that, you mentioned Leap of Faith, the Steve Martin movie. Are you talking about kind of like the the tent revival type preaching where someone plays with a snake and all that sort of stuff? Or? Well, if you take the snake out of that scenario, you're very <laughs> accurate. Although one time I did go to a church and they brought out snakes. It was in West Virginia, but I left. I was your typical revivalist preacher. I did a lot of tent work, worked with guys like R.W. Shambach, Jimmy Swaggart. So I was that guy. I really was. And I was sold out the whole route, really believed it, had a lot of good times, had a lot of fun, and you know, did change some lives. But I tell you, Chris, still, I wake up sometimes at night hoping that people were smart enough not to believe everything I said. Funny story, I was preaching at a revival one time, and I told everybody, if you're, you should throw your TVs in the river. They're destroying your homes. I get a knock on my trailer the next morning. It's the game warden. He says, are you Reverend Darty? I said, yes, sir. He says, you please not tell people to throw TVs in the river. We pulled 14 TVs out of the oh, river. <laughs> so these are real. Like, Is this kind of like the faith healing type thing, too? Oh, yeah, you're, absolutely. You're touching somebody on the forehead, and they can suddenly walk again? Now, I mean, you, Chris, if you're a Pentecostal evangelist, you got to be able to cast out demons. you got to be able to heal people, and you got to be able to take a hell of an offering. <laughs> so is that kind of like, like for example, and you don't have to go into it as much, but I had a friend of mine that was a, was a, was a cop, a policeman mm -hmm. who quit being a cop. When I went to college, I was 18. He was like 32 at the time. It seemed like he was ancient. He left being a <laughs> policeman to go into journalism because he was fed up with the fact that there was quotas every month. You have to hand out, I don't know, a hundred tickets. And at the end of the month, you've only had 50. You're pulling people over for speeding 32 and a 30, this sort of thing. It's like the corruption and the quotas and the money. I just couldn't take it anymore. It's not what I signed up for. Is this similar to what you were talking about with this kind of the, the, the Pentecostal preacher? An exact parallel almost. Wow. And it was funny because the church I was in, you literally had to fill out a form every month. This many people saved, this many people baptized. Wow. And if you didn't get the right numbers, they would give you a call. But what I really saw... Uh, Chris, is that to me, faith should be an intensely personal thing. And Christianity, classic Christianity, basically teaches people that they're filled with original sin from the time they're born. And they have to have salvation and that they've got the only savior, these churches, and it allows people to be under fear and guilt control matrix. And I think the real message of, of Jesus was that you've got the spark of divinity within and your divine you're sovereign, you're free. And that's what I try to do is bring people to a place where they can reevaluate and find true spirituality from within and not something that someone is directing them and leading and guiding them to. Gotcha. So that's kind of the background there. And, you know, you mentioned Elvis, who was very faith-based as well from what we always hear. Absolutely. Sort of thing. But let's kind of delve into some of this stuff about how did you start this connection with knowing all this information about Elvis and let's start talking about the king. Yeah, absolutely. And just a real quick background. Elvis loved gospel quartets. Right, gospel music. Yeah. Little kid loved gospel quartets. He would go to this quartet called the Foggy Mountain Boys or Foggy River Boys. <laughs> he loved them. 
and one of the singers was Charlie Hodge. And Elvis would go and watch Charlie Hodge, you know, follow Charlie Hodge around. Well, when Elvis started getting big, they started meeting each other backstage at, you know, Louisiana Hayride and other venues. And they became kind of acquaintances. And then Elvis got drafted. He's on the train to go to New York to go to Germany. And who walks on the train? Charlie Hodge, who had also got drafted. So from that day, literally until the day Elvis died, they were fast friends, the very gotcha. best friend. Of all that Memphis Mafia, nobody ever lived at Graceland except for Charlie. Charlie truly loved Elvis. And my best friend, since I was 11 years old, I'm now uh, 56, we've been best friends. And he became the best Elvis impersonator out there. First guy to ever work with Elvis's whole band. What's his so, name? His name is Gary Wayne Bridges. And he became best friends with Charlie Hodge, who's unfortunately passed away, with J.D. Sumner, who was Elvis's uh backup singer, leader, uh, J.D. Sumner and the Stamps, and James Burton, who we just saw the other day here in Dallas. Guitar played. player, right? Guitar and player. And this is not Scotty Moore. You Scotty always Moore. hear, play it, James. That's, it, JB, that's James so Burton. So that's like later Elvis, Memphis Mafia. Yeah, the um, the 68 on Gotcha, because Scotty Moore is the famous 50s jailhouse rock guy. Exactly. Gotcha. So 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 let me just get into this. So Memphis Mafia, mm -hmm. it was like Elvis's crew, so Elvis's crew. And, you know, it was probably 25 guys at one time, similar to what I met when I came on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually some band guys. Yeah, exactly. I'd like to say they're my entourage, but they're my band. Yeah, but and then Gary became tight friends with, with Charlie, worked with Charlie, worked with JD, worked with um, James Burton. And I'm his best friend, so by osmosis, I've known these guys for years. And I got to be the fly on the wall listening to all of the stories about Elvis, what it's like to live with Elvis, what it was like to understand Elvis. And that's how I've come across my knowledge. And it's I never met Elvis. But it's probably better than meeting Elvis because I get the real inside story the of who the pipeline. man was. Now, like obviously, you know, we're talking about kind of some of the, the supernatural things about Elvis. But tell me some of the real life Elvis stories that you heard because, like you mentioned, just how it was to live with Elvis and how it was to be Elvis. Yeah. Because if if you're talking about the most famous person on earth of all time from an entertainment standpoint, I mean. It's Elvis and Michael Jackson. You could throw yep. McCartney and Lennon, but John died when he was 40. And Paul is more known for the Beatles. It's super yep. famous. But as a guy you see, mm -hmm. Elvis and, and MJ are the two most merchandised and characterist uh, characterized uh, performers of all time. Sure. And there's also some very cool McCartney-Elvis tie-ins that we can get we'll to. We'll get to that too, point. right. And yeah, it was, it was really weird to be Elvis because Elvis never was a celebrity in his own mind. He never was that guy. Really? I'm Elvis, blah, blah, blah. In fact, one of Charlie's jobs, Chris, really, was to keep Elvis from giving stuff away. Elvis would see a person in need. He'd take off a big, huge diamond ring. He'd give them all the money in their pocket. He'd give them a car. And literally, Vernon, Elvis's dad, he said, Charlie, you got to stop him from doing this. So one of Charlie's jobs was stop Elvis from giving everything away. He truly loved people, Chris, loved people. Never was a celebrity. Always saw himself as a poor boy from Tupelo, Mississippi. Right. I got a quick story to tell you. I was on the road. You're a wrestling fan. Uh, back when I was in WCW, we had a show in Tupelo, Mississippi. <sighs> and the, the thing in wrestling is if you ever see somebody like, you know, look at that guy over there. He's six foot eight, 100 pounds or 300 pounds. You always go like, who did that guy ever beat? Like in the world of wrestling, like big deal. Who gives a shit? Like who, who did he ever beat? So it was me and Eddie Guerrero and, and Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit. And we were in a car. And we'd been drinking after the show, and Eddie, when he got drunk, we'd call him Eddie the Giant. And we went to Elvis's house where he grew up, yeah. and Eddie had to go to the bathroom, so he went and pissed on Elvis's bushes of his house. So I'm like, dude, you can't, you just pissed on Elvis's house. He's like, 
him. Who'd he ever beat? <laughs> Elvis would have probably cranked up at that. Yeah, he really that, would right? have. And I saw something the other day, Chris, and I agree with this. This is the one smoke I'll blow at you. They, I saw somebody that said that Chris Jericho was undoubtedly the greatest wrestler of all time, and I have to agree with that. Oh, well, I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. Always nice to hear. But the true greatest of all time, we were talking about someone like Elvis. I had heard stories about that where, I mean, I'm very lightly paraphrasing it, but something where... Um, Elvis went to buy a Cadillac and then the owner was really prejudiced and really screaming at the black dude to sweep up the floors. I mean, can you tell this story? Yeah, I've heard that story yeah. and it's a real story. What is it? It was actually a lady. It was a black lady and she was in charge of cleaning up the place. And he's like, don't you know, Calder, you know the N-word. This is Elvis Presley. Who the hell are you? Get out of here. And I'm sorry, sir. I'm just trying to do my job. And then Elvis didn't say a word, found out, you know, what all the the best car was and he says this is your best cat oh yes sir this is my very best cadillac on the whole lot you're sure this one's the best he said yes it is mr presley he says okay i want you to i'm buying it you put it in her name and if i ever hear you talk like that again boy i'll come back and personally whip your ass wow see that sort of stuff is cool because people forget i mean you're talking about elvis towards the end of his life and they say the fat elvis and all this stuff and one of the, the notes that you mentioned is that he was going to go through a life change but mm -hmm. i think Elvis was always like you never hear bad stories about Elvis. There weren't any. Chris. There weren't any. The worst story is, is that, okay, he was a, a pill popper, whatever the hell he was. Like, There's more to that. Too. Like I want to hear all about this. You always hear good stories about him being. Uh, he loved his mama. He, you know, he was very respectful. I'm sure he was nuts with the ladies. How many chicks could you probably get being Elvis Presley? But, <laughs> he's the I mean, king. They call him the king he's for the a king, reason. He's the king, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but I, I guess at this time, was he always, because you hear stories, especially about those guys from the 50s and 60s that didn't have any money. Did he have a lot of money throughout his whole life? Well, Elvis grew up. They literally got thrown out of public housing. Sure. And that there was a, a movie that they did about Elvis, a TV show, and you know, he, they, the guys came and threw them out and their mom said, well, is this still our house today? And they said, yes. And she says, well, you get out here with the rest of the dirt and was hitting them with a broom. True right, story. Right, right, right. True story. But I mean, Elvis, you know, from probably 59, 58, you know, he had more money than he could ever count. Got so he never, he never went through a down phase. Never, like never. Like you hear Gotcha. Gotcha. So continue the story. So he's with the Memphis Mafia, and he mentioned all these things. So so yep. continue on. About, yeah, Charlie you... actually lived in Graceland with Elvis, the only one that did that. He had a room next to Lisa Marie's. Then they moved that outside because uh, Priscilla wanted to make Charlie's room a uh, a playroom. And if you go on the Elvis tour at, at Graceland, they'll say, they'll say, oh, this is Vernon's office. Well, it was Vernon's office after he threw Charlie out of it, after Elvis told Charlie he could live there forever. And that's one of the reasons that gets us to the paranormal uh, Elvis part and the part about the pills gets us to the paranormal Elvis part. But I know what I know from Elvis straight from the mouth of the guy that was closer to him than anybody Why else. Why did Vernon throw Charlie out? Because Vernon was cheap and Vernon was jealous. He never had the relationship with his son that Charlie had. Right, gotcha. So he was able to kind of overrule Elvis's decision? Well, Elvis was dead. This was after mm. he died, Chris. It wasn't, it was literally gotcha. days after Elvis was dead, wow! Vernon told Charlie, pack your shit and get the hell out of here. I hate to use the French, but that's exactly what he said. Let's talk about Elvis's last days. You mentioned pills and this sort of thing. How does that all tie into what we're discussing? With well, one of the reasons, I got a call from um, a lady that was working at Graceland. She's no longer there. She said, Jeff, I know your paranormal background. We're having uh, Elvis show up 
it used to didn't bother us, but now he's very, very angry and we're like a, worried. Like, a, like an Elvis spirit? An Elvis spirit, yeah, Elvis ghost. And he's very, very angry. Can you and Gary, Gary's my friend, come up and do something? And what happened about the pill? There was two things Elvis wanted done. He was very, very upset at how the estate was treating his friends. He had given cars and houses and monies to, you know, J.D. Sumner's uh, family, a lot of families, and he just gave it. And when Elvis gave a house, he gave you the house. He paid the taxes, everything. And after he was dead, Elvis Presley Estates was going back to people that Elvis gave gifts to and hitting them with the taxes. Wow. I mean, Chris, they were going to throw people on the street. And Elvis was livid. The Elvis ghost. The Elvis ghost was livid. And one of the other things that Elvis wanted people to know about the pills, yes, he had gained a lot of weight. Yes, he was taking a lot of pills. But what people don't know, and I'm sure there's a lot that people don't know about guys in, in that are wrestlers. Oh, it's all fake. But they don't know what you guys go through. Elvis had multiple micro uh, fractures in his spine. He was born with a, a twisted um, colon. He had glaucoma. He had debilitating arthritis. The doctor, uh, I, had, I saw three independent doctors evaluated Elvis Presley. They said he never should have been up. He should have been bedridden. But Elvis loved his fans so much that he would get up out of a bed and go perform on stage. So yes, he was on a lot of drugs. It was all prescribed, but he doesn't, didn't want people to think of him as a junkie, as a pill popper. He really wasn't, Chris. It's interesting, a couple of things spring to mind, and I want to get back to that. Uh, that's what they say, kind of why Prince was on all the, the drugs he was on, because he had very bad feet and heels. His heels were messed up from all the jumping and splits and dancing. So he was on the drugs to be able to continue to perform. Right. And I heard we were just in Vegas a couple of weeks ago, and we went to the Westgate, mm -hmm. which used to be the Hilton. It was the Las Vegas Hilton. Las Vegas Hilton, and that's what they said. That they have a meet and greeter at the door, kind of like a Walmart guy. Who you know? There's pictures of Elvis. There's a statue mm -hmm. of Elvis. He said he did 748 consecutive sellouts. So that doesn't mean 748 shows in a row, but out of the 748 shows he did, they're all sold out. So he obviously was very busy and very much performing. Yes, absolutely. And he shouldn't have been. He should have been bedridden. He should have been taking it easy. But they couldn't make him. Uh, he he would say to Charlie, he says, Charlie, I can't do it, man. These people made me. They deserve me. He says, I will die on that stage. I'm not going to quit on these people. Did Elvis have a, uh, I mean, obviously we know Colonel Tom Parker. Mm -hmm. Was he still his agent in the 70s? He was. Uh, Elvis had made plans to fire Colonel Parker. He was going to cut the Memphis Mafia back to about five guys. He was had some major Hollywood roles lined up. He had already lost about 25 pounds. Really? And he was going to fire all these guys. And Vernon talked him into waiting until after Christmas to fire everybody and make these changes. They went to Hawaii. Vernon said, wait till after Christmas. Unfortunately, Christmas never came in 1977 for Elvis. He died in August. Has there ever been any uh, foul plays suspected in Elvis's passing? Because if you're talking about all this stuff, did anybody ever find out about it? Yeah, you know, I hate to speculate too much, Chris, but with the with the things you find out in the paranormal realm, and talking to people and understanding people, and there's a fellow named Larry Geller that figures in big. I think that Elvis, and I, I wrote a book about it called uh, Assault on Aquarius, and this is where McCartney ties in. I'm certain that Elvis Presley was the first big target of the mk ultra tavistock type of mind control what's mk what mk is ultra is a mind control um 
uh, protocol that was uh, created by the multinational governments, United States, Great Britain, and Tavistock was kind of the uh, British part of it. And they would do things to warp people's mind, to control, to control them. They would do things like um, technology where they could actually talk into your mind, and they would have handlers. And there's a couple guys in Elvis's life that I strongly uh, suspect were handlers. And Elvis felt and told Paul McCartney that he was under this and to watch out for it. And that's really what happened with the whole Paul is dead thing, Chris, is that was uh, Paul going through some MK Ultra mind control. And I think they actually warped Paul across time. It's called temporal torture. What? Yeah, man. How, how did... Okay, there's so many things. Here. So many things. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of branches. First of all, who's controlling Elvis and who is controlling Paul? Well, each person, each subject will have a handler, someone that's close to like them. a human? A human, usually yeah. a human. Uh, someone that will facilitate, someone that will give them drugs, someone that will have them in the right place at the right time. And there's a lot of, um, we would call it etheric control through you know, spiritual means, through astral means. And there's also um, pharmacological control, slipping some, you know, some drugs, slipping some of this, slipping some of that. And then there's also a lot of hands-on, like black magic type control too. So Elvis, I think, was they did it to Elvis's mom. They did it to Elvis. They did it to McCartney. They did it to Lennon. I know for sure. Is it one group one specific group doing this mind control it started out to be one specific group chris it started out with uh, the u.s government and the uh, british government probably with a lot of stuff they picked up uh, in nazi germany but it's now and it's still out there it's got different names and it goes down even to the the manson situation uh, project gladio what's the what's the, uh, the fbi's one was chaos and now it's probably paranational and it's you know there's we like to think we're still countries, but there's really probably a small group of people controlling most of the stuff. So it's probably beyond national now. And what were they controlling Elvis to do? Well, think about it's. It, let's say it's 1958, right? And here's Elvis Presley. He's out there, you know, making everybody scream and yell, and uh, coming out of the the strict the strict Ozzy and Harriet 50s. Everybody believing in authority. Everybody believing in the church. And here's Elvis saying, you know what? You can be yourself. You don't have to be under this authority. You don't have to be under the strict control. He was a rebel, but yet he was a perfect gentleman. So he was very, very difficult to control because he would have he had such great power, and he really had people longing for some individuality, some uh, rebellion, but not burning stuff down. So they took that Elvis and started applying this this stuff to him, and all of a sudden he goes from being this rebel who's changing the world to this black helmet haired marionette in Hollywood making movies singing to baboons and things they completely shut him down hmm. does that have to do with him getting drafted into the army as well yeah and that was that's actually a really good point Chris we got so much I know I'm skipping around their first plan was well let's draft him into the army he'll rebel he'll say bad things he'll spit on the flag it'll take him down you know what happened Elvis said yes sir Model he saluted. Yeah. He was a model soldier, a model soldier. So the people that didn't like Elvis, the moms and dads that didn't like what he was doing to their teenage daughters, you know, getting them all stirred up, all of a sudden, even the moms and dads had a deep respect for Elvis Aaron Presley. 
and he was a force to be reckoned with. And then you had the Beatles at the same time, I Want to Hold Your Hand, Help, Positive, 432 megahertz music, making everybody feel good. We were on the cusp, I believe, Chris Jericho, of a huge spiritual renewal. And they had to act against Presley. They had to act against McCartney to try to keep the genie in the bottle. Who's acting? Though? Like, why, why, why is it some kind of malevolent society? Or why would they not want that? It goes back to what we talked about, Jeff, why'd you leave the church? When you have Christianity, which I see predominantly as a fear and guilt control matrix, you're a sinner, you need salvation, we've got the only savior. So you gotta come to us. You gotta do what we say, when we say, how we say. The US government was much like that back in, in the late 50s and early 60s. You respected the president, you yes sir, you yes no, right. you had a complete respect for authority, and individuality wasn't really encouraged at that time. And here comes Elvis uh, championing individuality. Here come the Beatles championing, you know, sex, love, and rock and roll. Right. And it was a, a societal tsunami. It was a, a, a huge force. And they did manage, in my opinion, to uh, put it off now to where we're just starting to see it now. So what is that, 50, 60 years? It's unbelievable. So, so leaving Elvis going over to, you mentioned McCartney and Lennon, mm -hmm. same thing, wanted to shut them down. Where was the, where was the shift there? Well, if, do you, are you familiar with the whole Paul is Dead? Of course. I've done, we've done a whole show about it here on Talk is Jericho. And there's, there's some things about Paul is Dead. How come Paul's eyes changed colors? And they went from uh, light to dark, which never or dark to light, really? whichever way they went. I never heard that one before. His ears changed. His, his jawline changed. They did uh, Spanish forensic uh, investigators noted changes that could not possibly happen. Do I think there's a, a Paul's been replaced? No, I don't. I think that Paul McCartney, the real Paul McCartney, was placed under the same type of mind control, and he was even subject to something called temporal torture. They would actually phase him and warp him across time, and I think that's what came up with, that's what's caused the, the physical changes in Paul McCartney. Is it something that he wouldn't, doesn't remember? Because Paul's still with us. I get to meet Paul on November 12th. So I'm, Where? Uh, my buddy Gary, who was the Elvis impersonator, is, is doing a, a big show with uh, James Burton in Memphis. It's called Play a James, because it's going to be McCartney and a lot of great people come in and playing their favorite Elvis songs with James Burton. And I'm going to look in his eyes. I'm not going to ask him, is he, is he dead? But I'm going to look in his eyes. I'm going to shake his hand. I'm going to get a, a, a real read on it. But I think Paul knows. And if I had to bet money, if I had to bet your bus, Chris, I would bet that Paul has something that's gonna that he's written that will come out posthumously that will explain what happened to him. Really? I really believe it. I really believe it. This is just crazy stuff, man. From some of the stuff I've seen Paul say, and you know, again, people don't know this, but in '56, uh, Elvis asked the Beatles to come to meet him at his house in in California. '66. No, it was actually 50. I think it was, I think it was 50. No, no, no. I'm sorry. You're right. It was yeah. 66. My bad. Probably a little bit Because they did actually meet Elvis. Yeah, they did. They might, went. Might have been 64 or 65. Yeah, yeah, it was right around that time. They came out to the, to the house at Bel Air. And uh, they were all sitting around on the floor. And nobody, you know, the Beatles were intimidated. Elvis was intimidated. He says, well, if y'all aren't going to say anything, I'm going to go to bed. And they all laughed. And then, uh, long story short, Ringo and George ended up going out and playing pool with Elvis's guys. And Elvis and John and Paul started jamming. And there is a recording of that somewhere. Wow. There is a recording of it somewhere, but they started jamming. And then a guy named Larry Geller and Charlie were both there. And they said that Charlie sat, sat McCartney down and said, listen, man, 
they did some heavy stuff to me. They messed with my mind. That's why Elvis I was in said the movie, that? said this to yeah. Paul. That's why I was in the movies. I got myself out of that contract. I'm coming back. He says, watch yourself. They're going to go after you boys. And it wasn't but a few years after that that you had this huge titanic change in the Beatles' music. It went from 432, uh, wasn't happy, wasn't go luck anymore. It started with the, uh, with the Sgt. Pepper album. And Paul was a different guy. And people, oh, Paul's dead. No, he wasn't dead. He was just severely, severely messed with. And Lennon knew and remembered what Elvis said. And Lennon put it in some songs and in some, uh, some videos that he was in that maybe we'll get a chance to get to someday. But Lennon knew. Well, he put, them in some, put those words in some songs? He put the idea that Elvis told us this. And what song? We didn't see it coming. It, was, it wasn't actually a song. It was, a, uh, it was in a, a, a TV show in the UK that Paul was doing. And the, he set up a few things where Paul sang a song about John. And then the cut was to Elvis, a picture of Elvis. Like, why would it be a picture of Elvis? Mm. And it's, there's a lot to it. It's a 300-page book, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> when, when did you, you mention they got Lennon, too? Um, don't know so much about John. Gotcha. You know, John was so much of a, of a free spirit. And, you know, John had the benefit of the warning from Elvis. He had the benefit of watching it happen to Paul. So I think John was probably too smart for him. And they just had to pop him, brother. Wow, you said that they are the ones who killed John Lennon? I, I, and I'm not the only guy that says that. I don't think there's any doubt that John Lennon was taken out. And I'm not really a Beatles fan. That's the weird thing. See, I am a Beatles yeah. fanatic. So hearing all this stuff is a whole different take on those mm -hmm. things. you know. Um, and by the way, when I sit down and I listen to Judas and I listen to Nowhere to Run and I listen to um, Burn Me Out, dude, I don't know who the brother that wrote those songs are, but those are some deep, deep esoteric lyrics. Those are our producer Johnny Andrews done with Fozzie Tunes. Yeah, Johnny, I stopped writing lyrics because Johnny lyrics, Johnny's lyrics are so dark and uh, you know ominous. Mm -hmm. But you're right; it's definitely in there. Um, how are they getting mind control in Elvis and, and, and McCartney? How were they? How, how do they do it? Is it you're getting very sleepy, or is it? You know, some of it is done electronically. Uh, some of it is done. Are you familiar with what people call the astral realm? You can travel. I, I mean, I, I can do this. I don't do it for obvious reasons, but you can like actually remote viewing kind of. Or? It's more like, did you see the movie Inception? Yeah. You can go into people's dreams. Gotcha. And plant suggestions and plant ideas. And they're very adept at doing that. I mean, you know that all the major corporations have black magicians working for them. And it just takes that to the next level. So there's, it's electronic, it's astral, it's pharmacological, and there's also uh, people that uh, use uh, the magical kind of evil Reiki, for lack of a better word, to be able to apply it to people through touch, thus the handlers. When you mentioned about Elvis's spirit being pissed off, how did Charlie find this out? Well, Charlie was long dead by then. Okay, then we got a call from a lady that I can't name that used to work for the estate. And she said, guys, you got to come up here. Elvis is really mad. So we went up to Graceland. We went through the mansion and we, you know, got in contact with Elvis. And we found out that he really was mad. He really was very dark. And I think if it had gone on any longer, he might have even gone like poltergeist type of stuff but he was very very angry and he wanted us and i wrote a book and did a, a went on coast to coast am big radio show of course talked about with our bell or was it with george, with george. george yeah. talked about how the estate had done elvis's uh, friends wrong 
talked about why Elvis was on the drugs, and Elvis wanted people to know about the MK Ultra Tavistock mind control that he was subject to as well. No, there was a reason. He didn't just quit on him and go to Hollywood. He didn't just quit and turn into, you know, Liberace singing ballads at the end of his life. He was fighting. And in 77, he made the decision. He got off as much of the pills as he could. He had already lost 25 to 30 pounds. Right. He was in Hawaii getting a tan. He was firing, uh, firing uh, Parker. Uh, Linda Thompson and her, and her, uh, her brother uh, were helping him. And he was going to get himself back together. And he was coming hard. It was going to be 1968 Singer Special all over again, Chris. Well, it's one of those things. I mean, Elvis would have had a huge career, you know, after all that. It would have just been like, you know, John Lennon's Lost Weekend in 74, where he just disappeared, went insane, you know, and then came back in 1980, and he was better than ever, yeah. almost. Um, how did you communicate with Elvis? Well, we went there, and uh, I do it a couple of different ways. I, believe it or not, use divining rods. Yeah. And you can get... I think it's the most elegant way to get yes and no answers. And then uh, you can, I do remote viewing. I even picked the NFL doing remote viewing, believe it or not. <laughs> 80% accuracy. We've had remote viewing shows here as well. Before, yeah. yeah. And just good old fashioned, you know, meditate and contact Elvis. We never saw Elvis. We never heard Elvis. But uh, I'm very confident that we were in. A deep contact with them, and when we got the message out on coast to coast and through the book, um, it stopped. They will see Elvis every now and then, but it's it's the old Elvis. It's happy Elvis. Mm. It's 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 you know nice Elvis. It's were, not this were you dark able to, brooding. To, to take take away the damage of making them pay the taxes and all that stuff. Well, interestingly enough, uh, Chris, you know, a little publicity goes a long way, and they backed off of several of those people and you know let it stand. So. Uh, the, and I have to say the folks at Elvis Presley Enterprises have uh, become a lot better, much more towards how Elvis would want them to be. Not not there all the way, but baby steps, and we're thankful for those. Who's the, the big remote viewer, the, the, the famous? Are you thinking of Yuri Geller? Is that right? No, no, no. Uh, the ones that I know of are the— used to be on Coast the, to Coast all the time. Yeah, the ones that I know of, they're, what's it called? Um, Far Reach Institute, Far Side Institute. I was trying to get the guy's name. I can't remember their names. But um, because it was just but it's, when you mentioned, um, did you ever talk to Priscilla Presley about any of this stuff? Or did she ever see any of it? I've met Priscilla, a very nice lady. I've spent more time with Lisa, Lisa Marie. She's a great girl. Right. Um, we're probably going to have a show with Linda Thompson here very soon. Who's Linda Thompson? Linda Thompson is the best thing that ever happened to Elvis Presley. She was former Miss Tennessee, became his live-in girlfriend for, jeez, it was ten, twelve years, and. She she said that living with Elvis was a nice abnormal life, mm. and then she wound up marrying Bruce Jenner. So, <laughs> but anyway, um, right, that's one side of the coin. Russell Targ was the guy's name that I was thinking of. Oh, okay. Um, so you're mentioning kind of all these, like I said, there's so, there's so many things involved here. But you also mentioned there's a connection between uh, Elvis and uh, the Manson murders. There are um, one of the guys that was. Chris, I'm almost at the point now where I'm sure, I'm almost certain, again, I'm in the middle of another book and have done a lot of study and analysis, I'm almost certain that the Manson murders may not have been murders. It might have just been a big show again to kill the 60s. I know that's a crazy statement. I think I have a lot of data to back it up. And one of the guys that was allegedly murdered that night was a gentleman named Jay Sebring. Hairdresser. Hairdresser. Uh, in fact, the first guy to do men's hair, hair salons. 
guess who I helped? just saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, so, did you? Know, you? He's, he was, was Larry Geller in Once Upon I a Time remember, in Hollywood? I can't remember. He, Jay Sebring was. He was uh, Sharon Tate's friend. And, and, yep. Yeah. Well, and Larry, Jay's right-hand man was Larry Geller. Wow. And that's the guy you talked about earlier. Coincidentally, Larry Geller cut Elvis's hair. So Larry Geller, who else was he? Because you mentioned him a few times. He was just one of Elvis's friends. Larry Geller was... I'm betwixt and between on Larry. I've, I've interviewed him a couple times. And Charlie used to say of Larry, the more of us that die, Larry's stories get better because there's no one left to contradict him. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But um, Larry was either a really good guy or a really bad guy. I just, I, I'm really wondering about Larry. Yeah, I'm trying to find out if he cut McCartney's hair. If he cut McCartney's hair, <laughs> then it's over. Then you know who Then was, I know yeah. that the loop is completed. And I meant to check that out today, but I didn't get a chance to. But Larry worked for Jay. Larry was definitely in the Tate house two, three days before the quote-unquote murders. I'm wondering if Larry wasn't there that night. And Larry ties back to Elvis. And... Larry ties to Sebring, who ties to Manson, who ties to uh, Tate's dad, who was definitely naval intelligence. Uh, Larry, uh, I, I'm afraid that he might have been a handler or a an agent provocateur for all of this. And if he if he cut Paul's hair, I got him, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so so. What's the, so the, you 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 mentioned that the Manson murders you think is just a show to to signify the end of the sixties? I think they I think it was a production. I don't think anybody was killed. I think really? I can prove that. And you can you can it just Google the day the sixties died, and you'll see Manson murders, Manson murders, Manson murders, and Manson murders. Take down Elvis. Take down the Beatles. Take down the whole sex, drugs, rock and roll, anti-government, anti-war, hippie movement in one fell swoop. And you've, you've killed the 60s. And they bought themselves another 50, 60 years of keeping us uh, in a fear and guilt control matrix. But I think we're busting loose. I think we're finally realizing we're divine, we're sovereign, we're free. And we're going to get this thing rolling, man. You know, it's kind of the, the concept of, of, of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that does signify the end of the 60s. And they kind of parallel it I haven't with seen it. DiCaprio's career as a, as a action hero and all this sort of thing. So what do you think happened to, to, to Sharon Tate then and to J.C. Bring into? There's really good evidence that they, um, some of them moved. I mean, I, you can find um, Tate and Polanski in South America after they were allegedly dead. Well, Polanski was never killed, though. It was Tate and their yeah, baby, sorry, right? Yeah, sorry. But Polanski was down there with her, so. Really? Yeah. So why would they have agreed to this? It's a good question, isn't it? Yeah. How deep does the con go? Mm-hmm. That's the eternal question. How deep does it really go? I'm not. How do I? The only ones I'm sure of, Chris, are me and you, and I just met you. Yeah. <laughs> but you're talking about kind of like this. This whole you mentioned, you know, this fear matrix, and mm-hmm. we're, we're getting out of it. What, what, is the fear matrix still the form of mind control now, or what? What was it that you mean by that? I think the basic part of the the fear and guilt control matrix is, um, and you know, it's kind of like you know the song Judas. I'm, uh, you know, I'm. I'm a slave to the Judas in my mind. Mm. The Judas, of course, was the betrayer. The Judas was right. the guy that betraying you know, yourself, yeah. betraying yourself. And we're if we're divine, we're sovereign, we're free. If we're really God, like Jesus said, we're gods. We're made in the image of the gods. Then why are we 
you know, bowing the knee to religions that want to say that we're sinners and that we've got to do this and got to do that. Why are we letting ourselves, you know, live in a world that's polluted, a world where kids are being abused? Why aren't we rising up? And, you know, a lot of people say, well, why won't God do something? Well, Chris, what if we're the gods and the goddesses and we're the ones that's supposed to do something? Hmm. So you think this is this becoming more and more prevalent to the, to the world to be able to accept this and be able to see it? Well, you know, I've, I have a YouTube channel, the Christian Whistleblower YouTube channel, and for about four years, we had maybe a thousand subscribers, and now we're up to 40,000 subscribers. So something's taking note, and it's certainly not my talent. There's something is, is catching hold, and I think people are really starting to wake up and realize, hey, we've been sold a bill of goods. We're better than this. We deserve better than this. And I think a lot of people are realizing, Chris, that it's time to stop waiting for our ship to come in, and it's time to start swimming out and meeting that damn thing. Is there more to, to the Elvis story that you know? You know, we we pretty much covered it. I think we you know covered it, of course, in in a very uh, you know punchy type of fashion because we we were against a time uh, crunch. But the main thing was that Elvis didn't sell out and go to the movies just for money. I think that his 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 mind was warped and he was you know kind of shut down as a as a changing social force and went and did those movies for so many years. He fought his way out of it, came back, you know, 68 to 73. He's the badass again. He's Elvis. He's the king of rock and roll. He's rocking. They start pounding him again. He goes, you know, becomes Liberace with those crazy suits and singing ballads. And then 77 comes around and he's, he's ready to go again. I mean, it's 1968 all over again. He was ready. He was primed. And you were going to see the king of rock and roll again, like never before. Of course, he ended up how, dying. How was he able to fight out of, you know, like you said, being the movie star? Because like, like you mentioned, like he was just doing movies, two or three movies a year. And you could probably name five out of the 50 that he did. There, was, there wasn't a lot of great ones. And they weren't great, Chris. But the thing people don't know is he was by far the highest paid actor in Hollywood all through those really? years. He was Tom Cruise. No kidding. He made more money than all of the actors. Elvis was number one. So they were, you know, they were just stacking money. Were those movies hits? Well, they were. Uh, they money were very makers. Money makers. They yeah. were huge money makers. You know, they, you know, you've seen the movies. They were terrible. Yeah. There's three or four of them that were were decent. And you, the more of those movies I watch, Chris, the easier it is for me to believe. Yeah, dude was under mind control because there's no way. I mean, you're a creative guy. There's no way you 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 can't sell out that hard for that long. Well, and how did he kind of, you know, we mentioned the mind control that mm -hmm. led him there. But what what was there somebody that was like a, a one specific studio that was booking him for all these movies? Was was were they just creating movies for him like on a weekly basis to keep him under the thumb or, or how, how? Well, again, we talked about the MK Ultra mind control, the different phases of it. It was hardcore on him, and I really think, Chris, that it was. Uh, Linda Thompson that was the spark that pulled him out. I mean, Charlie talks about her sitting him down in a chair, pushing him down. Right. You're Elvis effing Presley. Why are you doing this? Get out there and be the badass you are. And she got through and he was about ready to take off again. See, that, that's what just... Uh, I've forgotten about his... I'm actually just trying to look up the movies here. I've forgotten about his whole movie career and how that basically took him out of circulation. He did. But I was just talking the other day about how so did the sort of the whole uh, being in the army. You know, I mean, that, that was, was only a couple of years, though, Chris. Right, but still, he was at his peak at that point in time, though, He right? was. And you could see how they were, it was, you know, if you were going to try to knock Elvis out at his peak, that was a great way to do it. 
But to see the guy become the model soldier and the model American and yes, sir, no, sir. It's just, I mean, the only critics that he had was the generation of, oh, he's just a punk. And then they, he showed them who he really was, and he converted millions of people to his fans. And that's the guys like me that are still his fans today. Like me, too? Yeah. I mean, you can't be a rock and roll fan and not appreciate Elvis. But I remember, like, the, you know, the first few movies that he did, actually, when I was a kid, was a big Elvis fan. But Love Me Tender, Loving You, Jailhouse Rock, King Creole. And then you keep going down the list. I'm going to just fast forward here to uh, <laughs> It Happened at the World's Fair, Fun in Acapulco, Kissing Cousins, Viva Las Vegas, if you could write a hit song with the movie, then you'd be okay. That was kind of the idea. They just put a song out around yeah, it. Yeah, right? and all the music then was, you know, movie albums, and they were mostly forgettable. You know, there's yeah, a yeah. few songs, Viva Las Vegas. I mean, he did Charo, which was a straight movie. That was pretty good. It was a Western. Um, he did... Um, Clam Bake. <laughs> he did Change of Habit, which is, was a straight movie, just a little singing. That was a pretty good film. Yeah, that's right. But do you know he turned down the male lead and A Star is Born with Barbara Streisand? Really? The, wow. He didn't. Colonel Parker turned it down. And that was the last straw for Colonel Parker. Elvis Look. wanted to do a European tour, which he couldn't because of Colonel Parker's immigration troubles. And that's another great candidate for, uh, for Handler. I mean, Parker was probably wanted for murder, probably on the lam for that. Really? I never tell us about that story. Yeah, he's just, you're talking, Handler AK is basically a Svengali, it seems, just telling what much, do, yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. But um, Elvis was going to do a, a European tour that was already in, 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 in the works. Um, he was firing Parker. And what, what question did you ask me that got us to that? I was just asking, uh, 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 we were just talking about, about the money that he was making, and um, I don't even remember how he was going to get out of all yeah. this, I guess. We were just talking about the movies that he was making and how... No. I don't, but just tell us about the Parker story. Yeah, Colonel Parker um, actually, to get to the U.S. the first time, jumped ship and swam to shore. Where's he from? He's from Denmark, Holland, oh, wow. that region. And uh, there was a guy that died, and he was facing manslaughter charges, and he could never get a visa. So, you know, people are clamoring. How does Elvis Presley not do a European tour? How does Elvis Presley not do a Europe. world tour? Never. He went to Canada a couple times and left colonel parker at home but could you imagine how huge that would have been 78 elvis in england elvis in germany elvis in japan oh it would have been huge God, he never went to japan That's he crazy. never yeah. left the states chris wow and he wanted to but he couldn't because of parker but here again elvis is achilles heel too much love because charlie would say to him what are you doing man fire this guy and elvis would look at charlie and say charlie if there wasn't a Colonel Parker, there never would have been an Elvis Presley. He really believed that Colonel Parker made his career. Colonel Parker gave him some breaks, no doubt about it. But you got to believe a talent like that would have risen to the top. Anyway. Yeah, what we were talking about is, is how did Elvis kind of break free? You know what I mean? How did he get out of, you know, you're talking about the 68. Because his last movie was 69, as I'm looking at here. And that was... Was that Change of Habit? Uh, it was Change of Habit, yeah. right. Mary so he, Tyler Moore, by the way. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but he did the comeback special in 68. Did you see that, Chris? Yeah, of course. Oh, Elvis at his best. It's the best. That's, the, that's leather Elvis. Elvis at his yeah, best. Yeah, he never had leather. He was still hot. You know, mm -hmm. he, he still looked like Elvis. Because then he kind of disappeared again. Like you said, maybe he's mm -hmm. that when he went to Vegas or whatever it was. Yeah. Or Cool story about that. They were going to do that. And that special, Colonel, special? Yeah, Colonel and NBC wanted it to be um, Elvis dressed as Santa Claus singing no. Christmas carols. And Elvis said, look, I need to come back. They're like, you're the most famous guy in the world. He goes, follow me. They're in Manhattan, New York, wherever NBC studios are. Elvis walks out on the street, Chris, stands there. 
people walking by, walking by, walking by, walking by. He looks at him and says, do you believe me now? Mm. So then they went back in and Elvis said, here's how we're going to do it. This is uh, be like a mind control thing if you would have Elvis and a Santa suit. They kind of just keeping him down again. Because yeah. this was the return of the badass Elvis. It was. That you hadn't seen since 58 when he went into the army, basically. Exactly. Right? That's interesting. 58, 68, and it would have been 78. 78 when he was a badass Ooh. again. There's a little numbers thing for Interesting, you. Interesting, Chris Jericho. See, I'm on the case. You're more than just a pretty face, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, that's... that's um, you know, when you, but the thing is too, though, when you think about the amount of money that Elvis was generating, you know, I mean, whenever somebody's making that much money and there's handlers, you mentioned mind control, they would want to keep him alive just from a monetary standpoint, wouldn't you think? And guess who made 50 cents off of every dollar Elvis ever made? Wow. Colonel Tom Parker. He made half of what Elvis made? 50% from dollar one till the last billionth dollar. Do you think he was a, like a Svengali for Elvis controlling him? It was either him or Geller. I haven't decided which one, Chris. But I mean, even just from a human standpoint, you know. You, 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 I mean, all you need to know about Colonel Tom Parker, and you can you can kind of respect this, but you're like, it, it just makes you want to go take a shower. He mm. got his start in carnivals, painting sparrows yellow and selling them as parakeets or whatever. Right, 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 right. right. True story. Wow. Yeah, man. I mean, it's. Um, let's talk more about the Memphis Mafia. You were saying mm -hmm. that he wanted to to fire half of them or whatever it was. What was the mindset behind that? The mindset behind that was that they had, and it was Elvis's fault, and he admitted it was his fault. He had allowed a culture of mediocrity to surround his life, and these guys, you know, were the bureaucracy. And the first rule of a bureaucracy is to protect the bureaucracy. And, you know, he was constantly being told, don't take a chance, constantly being told, just keep it the way it is. It's okay, man. We love you, bro. And he recognized that. And I think, again, a lot of it's Linda Thompson saying, these guys are hanging on. These guys are leeches. These guys are holding you back. And he finally realized, you know what? I got to do it. I've been doing it the same way for a lot of years. It's not changing. And, he, you know, he wasn't going to just put him on the street. He had a nice severance package for him, you know, four or five years. of. Did they uh, work for him? Uh, yeah, they worked for him. What did they do? They... You know, they supposedly were bodyguards, but, you know, mainly they hung out at Graceland and they followed him around and they did, you know, perform security functions. But basically they were just dudes that were paid to be Elvis's friends. And I was going to say I hate to say this, but I really don't. But when they stopped getting paid, only one of them I remember still stayed his friend. So I think that makes a statement. Only one of them? Only one of them, Charlie Hodge. Charlie, right, right. Yeah. Did Charlie tell you any other stories about Elvis at all? Oh, Charlie told me years worth of stories about Elvis, Chris. Years worth. And just crazy stuff. And then James Burton took a little heat because when Elvis died, you know, they, they were getting ready to, they were on the bus, much like this, getting ready to go out. And somebody came in and said, Elvis died. We're not, we're not going out. And James made the quip, and some reporter caught a hold of it. James said, well, I wonder if John Denver needs a guitar player. And everybody, oh, that's horrible, that's terrible. But the backstory of that is, is that Elvis was sitting around with the guys one night and said, look, you know, one of these days I'm going to die, and I don't want you, you know, he called them sons of bitches, I don't want you lazy sons of bitches sitting around, Burton, if I die, you call John Denver, Steve, he needs a guitar player. <laughs> so he busted that out, you know, at a time of, you know, great sadness, trying to lighten the load, mm -hmm. the mood a little bit, and James took some some fire for that. I just want to throw that out there for JB because <laughs> he was it was just a joke, folks. What would those guys do though? Like, if you're hanging out with Elvis, what do you do? They would uh, they would read the Bible a lot. They would read um, all kinds of spiritual books. You know, a lot of people think he was reading um, 
autobiography of a yogi when he died. He wasn't. He was reading a Madame Blavatsky book. What's it, Madame Blavatsky? Madame Blavatsky started what's called Theosophy. If you want to read some deep stuff, Chris, get a hold of that. Isis Unveiled, Helena oh, wow. Blavatsky, really, really deep stuff. And they would they would uh, race go-karts. Oh, Elvis. <laughs> Elvis loved. He would grab Charlie like twice a month and go to mortuaries and watch people being embalmed. He was what? fascinated with death. Wow. Fascinated with it. And he's like, Charlie, I don't know if I want to be, I don't know if I want this to happen to me, but I don't want to be burned. But he's okay, go ahead and do it to me. But he would ask the doctors, are you sure that nobody feels pain? And he would study, does the body feel pain after so long? And Interesting. He was fascinated with death. He was fascinated with the afterlife. And yeah, he used to wear like a crucifix, a regular cross, uh, the Jewish Lachaim thing. And they were with Sammy Davis one day, and Charlie said that Sammy Davis said to him, Elvis, that's a, a Jewish symbol. I didn't know you were Jewish. And Elvis said to him, well, Sammy, I'm not Jewish, but I'd hate to miss heaven on a technicality. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Elvis Presley. That right. really was. Um, when, when, when you're, oh, gosh, there's, there's so much to, to discuss with this. When Elvis died, what was officially his, his, his death? He officially died of cardiac arrhythmia, a fancy word for a heart attack. And, you know, I've been in the bathroom. I've, you know, you know, you talked about pissing in the buses. I've actually used that bath, that toilet, Chris. Oh, wow. I actually used that toilet. The um, haunted toilet. Yeah, Charlie made me do it. It's, it's like a rite of passage. <laughs> and uh, he was, he, he was, you know, still pretty heavy. He had been losing a lot of weight. So he, 25 he, pounds. Yeah. yeah. So he was uh, a little weak and he fell forward. And, you know, allegedly the girl that he was with heard the thump, but she was mad at him, so she didn't go in there. And he, the way he fell, he knocked himself out, and he was face down in this, you know, 70s shag carpet. And he, you know, basically you know, had the heart attack and suffocated right there. If someone had gone in when he fell, you know, the, the thought is that they could, have, uh, they could have revived him. And, you know, not saying anything against that woman, but the first call she made wasn't the ambulance. It was the National Enquirer. Wow. Yeah. Wow, because when did Elvis get divorced from Priscilla? Oh, boy. When was that? 70, uh, 74, 5? So, so. yeah. you, mentioned, you mentioned earlier that they didn't call him the king for, for nothing. He was the king of the women. You know, he, uh, he you know, obviously did get a lot of ladies. And, you know, he, uh, he was very um, respectful, though, of, of women that had, you know, children. He would never, you know, mess with that. And he was tried to be respectful of women that, you know, we're married, but, you know, he was the king of rock and roll. But it, deep down in his heart, he was the the country. I don't know if you ever saw the interview from uh, Madison Square Garden. He's like, Elvis, somebody asked him, Elvis, are you really that shy, humble country boy? And he really was. But Elvis stands up and says, well, I don't know what they say that for, this big gold belt. He saw the gold belt from the International Hotel. Oh, right, yeah. um, World record uh, sellout streak. Right, right, right. And, but that's really what he was. He was just the kid from Tupelo, from Memphis that you know he never fit in in high school and even when he was the most famous guy in the world every girl wanted to to marry him every guy wanted to be him to be in party and he still just wanted to please everybody when um as we wind down here when you're talking about the, the mind control which is something i had no idea about until until you you got here yeah, mk ultra yes. uh, tavistock gladio now Chaos. i would assume this is something that's not stopped to this day is it still still happening is there is there candidates that you are, are suspecting are under the same types of uh, well chris when you walk out on stage tonight just look out at the crowd i think it's moved now from just 
you know, selected targeted individuals to where they're really trying to target uh, society generally. There's a lot more technology now of being able to, to broadcast. You talk to people that talk about chemtrails, uh, you talk about, you know, 5G, you talk about uh, different electronic uh, uh, surveillances that are coming out, uh, you know, our smartphones, our TVs. And I think that it's really, the, the, the focus has probably changed. It's not so much on top down anymore. It's let's get everybody. And once again, you mentioned earlier that it's not a government, it's just a very small collection of heads of state that are doing this. Was it the Rock, Rockefellers? Is it the Rothschilds? Is it well, if you think of it in terms Sanders? of who the Illuminati is, right, right. that's who we're talking about. Are, you, are, we, are we talking about some kind of underground fortress where everybody's you know, being watched, or is it just one at a time? Or is it a very... Machiavellian uh, dystopian situation you're talking about. It is, and I didn't just you know fall out of bed. I've written fourteen no, books, said, very right. well documented. But it all the answer to that, Chris, is yes. All of those things are part of it, and more. So where where are these underground well, laboratories? When you get a chance, when you're not being the hardest working guy in show business, sit on Google, Google and and um, capital letters Google dumbs D U M B S S deep underground military bases. Conservatively, there's, they say there's 13 to 20 of them right now in the United States uh, being interconnected by tunnels. And I'm not really a, a conspiracy guy. Area 51 has been thought of to have those yeah. too. And I was in the Air Force for seven years, had a top secret security clearance because of the aircraft I worked on. And the military is really not as sexy as people think it is. But there is a lot of stuff, a lot of compartmentalization, a lot of need to know. And it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me or cause me to doubt one little bit that this is going on. And I really do think it's not so much top down anymore. It's directed at everybody. And you're watching, I mean, male fertilities in the tank, you know, guys aren't, you know, they can't go out and meet a girl anymore. They're playing video games. Girls are on Snapchat. They are attacking us. And that's why I'm so trying to get people to realize they're divine, they're sovereign, they're free and take back control of their lives and get out and do something and be who you're supposed to be. Don't be the hamster on a wheel. That is interesting because the, the modern day culture is based around your phones. Yeah. You know, my kids are the same. Just yeah. phones constantly, phones constantly. And you and I grew up, you know, running around in the yard, playing baseball, playing football, sure. playing hockey. You know, now it's all play dates. There was no play dates. You just get on your bicycle and yeah. ride around and go to people's houses and find people. Yeah. Is that just a society change? Because it, it would seem, though, like if you're talking about a mind control via technology, yeah. they've now infiltrated to where every single person has the, the button in their hand. You know, I'm a conspiracy guy. That's what I do. I, yeah. I, 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 I study this stuff. I you know read about this stuff. And I think that it is all part of a planned uh, illusion. Think about... Just the simple thing of stay off the grass. How many stay off the grass signs do you see? We wear rubber shoes. We walk on concrete. We ride in cars with rubber tires. When, how often do people ever get their bare feet on grass or dirt anymore? They're not connected to the earth. They're cut off from the planet. I think that's by design. Yeah, it's really that deep, and I'm that crazy. <laughs> What's the end game for the people that are doing this, doing the controlling? The, the end game is these people prefer stupid, unarmed, sick peasants. That's who they, that's what they prefer. And there's still a lot of Chris Jericho's and Jeffrey Darty's and people out there listening that are not going to go quietly into the dark night. We would still stand up for our rights, stand up for our freedoms. And I think we're at a tipping point societally, Chris. It's going to be the people that, you know, we say, wake up, 
wake up and take back what's ours and live free and love everybody, build a build a uh, a place that of peace that passes understanding and life and life more abundant, or we're going to go and be assimilated into the collective. It's one of the two, and it is an epic battle. I say we're the last generation of real humans, but I think that if we get busy, we can we can do it, Chris. We can take over and we can take back our authority, our sovereignty, our divinity, and our freedom, and we can be men and women again. And we don't have to be drones walking around with you know iPhones and smashing into poles and falling into into fountains. The thing is that people, it's just like any conspiracy, whether you're talking about 9-11 or JFK or right. if you're a flat earther, people just believe what they're told. How, it might be too big of a question to answer, but how, how do you, as a society, take it back? Take it, yourself back? When I was a preacher, I realized that I was trying to get people to change their life based upon what I was saying. And I felt like the divine said to me, even if they do change based on what you say, that's not good enough. It's got to be their decision. So I quit trying to tell people what to believe, Chris. I don't tell people what to believe. What I try to do is I'm the mailman. I bring them a lot of information. And I want to be the guy that gives the people the information that they need to look at their beliefs. What do your What are your beliefs based on? Why do you believe this? Why do you do this? Why do you work here? Why do you go there? And if you have data and you've actually thought about it and said, I'm choosing to do this, God bless your brother, sister, go do what you want. But if you're doing it just because you think you're supposed to do it, just because you've been told to do it, if you think you're doing it because uh, you're you know, a, a sinner who needs salvation, you're trying to please the Savior, I'm asking you to rethink that. Look at the decisions and look at the foundation of why you believe what you believe and find out if it comes from you or if it's hand me down ideas from generations ago. Who are you and what do you want and what are you here for? Answer those questions and help us change the world. <laughs> On that note, last question, what's your favorite Elvis song? Ooh, that's a tough question. It's a, probably a toss-up between um, put burning love on the head side and Kentucky rain on the tail oh, side. Oh, killer, man. I'll do uh, uh, Suspicious Minds. Ooh. Yeah, and uh, I don't even know. I, I, there's so many. I'll throw a, a teddy bear. <laughs> teddy bear is a good one. Fozzie, I'm going to have to say now, um, Burn Me Out or Judas. All Although right. Nowhere to Run is, is strong, too. If you stay for the show, you'll hear all three of them tonight. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jeff. This is very interesting stuff, and we have to talk more in the future about some of these other topics. Honor and a privilege, Chris. You have my number. Call me anytime. I'll be there. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> all right. Thanks to Jeff Darty for sharing all the cool paranormal stories about the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. Thank you very much. You can hear more of what Jeff does on his YouTube channel, Christian Whistleblower. We'll see more of Jeff in the future, I'm sure. And more of Kevin Eustace, who did the Beatles paranormal. He did a great job as well. So thank you very much for joining us on the scary Halloween week here on Talk is Jericho. And thank you so much for help selling out Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager part de uh, months ago. Uh, we set sail on January 20th. Remember, if you want to get on board, you still have a chance. Just sign up for the waiting list at ChrisJerichoCruise.com for $99, refundable if you don't go, but uh, goes towards your cabin if you do. You can put your name on the waiting list and be, uh, you know, you're going to get a chance to come on board if somebody has to drop up. Someone had to drop out uh, yesterday because of medical reasons. Cabin opened up. It was swiped up right away. So you can do it too. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Sign up for the waiting list. Join Ric Flair, NWO, Fozzie, uh, kick Axe, you know, there's so many. Killer Queens, uh, Light the Torch, Jared James Nichols, AW, Hangman Page, The Bucks, Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Cody and Brandy Rhodes, 
uh, uh, Jurassic Express, John Moxley, Nyla Rose, Penelope Ford, Private Party, Sammy Guevara, Inner Circle. Everybody's going to be there. DDP is going to be there. Beyond the Darkness is going to be there. Uh, Booker T, uh, MVP, so many huge talents. You know what to do. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Sign up for the waiting list now. All right, uh, coming up on Wednesday, well, we might have a special surprise, huge guest. Uh, I just have to get it in the can, so I'm not going to say who it is, but trust me, it'll be my first political show here on Talk is Jericho, and it's uh, pretty much as big as you can get uh, if you're actually not uh, the president of the United States, but it's pretty damn close. So we'll wait for that. When I get it in the can, I'll let you guys know, but be prepared for a great Wednesday. Either way, anyway, slice it. In the meantime and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy. We can't go on together with suspicious minds. All right, we'll see you soon. Oh, yeah.